Being a mom is the toughest job there is, and it doesn't come with instructions. So it's okay if you don't have all the answers. We'll figure it out together. This is Mom Brain with Ilaria Baldwin and Daphne Oz. Hey guys, welcome back to Mom Brain. I'm Ilaria. And I'm Daphne. And today we have one of our favorite people, Sarah Haynes. Woohoo! Yeah, I know, so exciting. This is her second time coming on. Last time we saw her, she was very pregnant with her third baby. Um, and she was extremely open. Um, there was a one of the interviews that we had with, you know, the most openness, the most tears, really um, unfiltered in such a beautiful giving way. Um, she's helps a lot of different people by by showing through example, how, um, you know, her struggles and and how she has been able to cope with them and and find a happy place. And you guys love that episode, too. It's far and away one of our most downloaded, um, I think, because there's just so much takeaway and there's so much feeling of just communion um, with, with Sarah. And so if you have not heard her first episode, I highly recommend going back and taking a listen to that. Then listening to this and one. And now we get a double dose. A second I helping. know. She's, and we get to check in on her. Now Her now um, Caleb, her son, uh, um, is eight months old. So we get to check in with her. And she also makes us laugh too. <laughs> All right, you guys. Now here's Sarah. Mom, play. Sarah, we are so happy to have you back just for anyone who's been living under a rock, please tell everyone a little bit about yourself. My name is Sarah Haynes. I'm married. I have three little ones. The oldest now four and then two and then eight months old. I'm a learning on the job mama. I'm from Iowa originally. I come from a big family. Family's everything. I'm a new chef, uh, self-proclaimed. I'm, I'm borrowing the title from I'm an imposter, but my, <laughs> it's okay. The food is edible. <laughs> I think that's a, pretty much it. I love chihuahuas. And where can we follow you? You can follow me on at Sarah Haynes on Instagram, Twitter. I've even started TikToking. So since we saw you last, you welcomed your third. A yes, little boy. I did. And he's eight months old now. And I think about you all the time because you were, uh, you know, so many things about our conversation the last time around was just like affirmed everything I'd ever hoped the show could be in terms of real and candid conversations around the extraordinary highs and the extraordinary lows of motherhood. Um, but I think about you all the time because you said, you know, I knew I could be the mother I wanted to be to one. And I knew I could be a great mother to two. And I I think I this you hadn't had yeah. Caleb yet. You said, I, I think I can be a great mother to my third. And I don't know beyond that. I thought that yeah. was such a... It's such a wise. real and a wise and honest thing to think about. Like, what kind of mother do you want to be? And physically, what bandwidth do you have to be everything you'd want to be for each of your kids? I'm curious. I mean, I, you know, obviously your baby's very little still, but have you been able to find ways to be the mom you want to be to each of them? And what does that juggle look like? So far, I think, first of all, the, the journey of parenthood, not just motherhood, just parenthood in general is a roller coaster. There are ebbs and flows. So catching me on a good day, I might be like, this is what it's like. And the next day, just kind of like, what the heck is going on here? And like completely confused. For the most part, I found I'm pulling it off, but I have to limit it because to be my best self, I have to have things for me. I have to know right. where Sarah is in there, not mm -hmm. where mom, not where Sarah, the wife, not Sarah, the daughter, where who I've become as, you know, the 42 years on this earth, who I am, I have to have her in there and I have to nurture her. And I think as women, not even just moms, moms takes it next level, but women tend to give outside of themselves. So to be my best self, which will ultimately mean for the kids, I have to carve out time that allows me to grow in my marriage and to grow with my girlfriends and to grow 
in alone time. And I think you can't put your hand in every bucket. There's just not enough to go around. So I am definitely at my capacity right now, not in stress, but in availability. I some days have it all scheduled. Other days don't get to anything and barely feel like I pulled the day off. But I see glimpses of the ability to do it. It just isn't a habit yet or a discipline and it comes and goes, but it's there. I think beyond this, I would be losing my morale, my ability to be my best self. Like I think depression, anxiety can cloud you. And if you dip into that, you're not even seeing clearly for what you have. And I think by getting addicted to meeting another soul, I would be compromising the balance I had already Hmm. for me. Really, right. not for them. But. What are what are things that you do to stay close to yourself? How do you not completely give yourself away during that process? Because I think it's something that we talk a lot about here, and yeah. it's a conversation I have. To think with like every mom out there. Selfishly, we ask this question too. Yeah. Yes, well, I know. I, think I want to know. The biggest thing is, and I did this when I was single too. I think uh, when you are not married, not having kids, you are so into yourself. It's usually a career if you're in New York, you know. So you consume it, and with the not putting down a cell phone, you can really consume it all day long and whether you're not dating and you're like I'm just working too much like you put everything off and you can hide in a career because there's achievement there there's feedback there's success and then I think you have to remember that somewhere along the way you don't have a life and a job will ditch you in a second and so I remember always being big on what's my hobby if I had a not a like a day on the beach to walk along but if you literally had one activity that makes you happy what is it is it reality tv is it cooking is it working out is it uh for me it's reading I love love fiction. I just love a good book. I literally, TV, I can get anxious watching and I'll space off and be like, I wasn't even paying attention to that. It's also work. You know, it kind of brings yeah, you into like your you, work brain. I try to, I mean, I, I'm kind of laughing because work for me is watching The Bachelorette. Uh, my job demands <laughs> that you guys. It's called research. As a really overachieving worker, yep. I do what I have Devoted. to do for my job. Um, but reading to me is addictive. It's it's um, intoxicating. I literally leave myself and come back and I have the array of emotions and feelings. So if you can lock into what you love and give that to yourself in small doses, mm-hmm. like for me, I have to read before I can fall asleep. Mm-hmm. So even on an exhausted night, I might make it one page on an iPhone. (laughs) So it's a paragraph. But other days I can't put it down. And to me, that fills me as Sarah. And those places I can go on any story, any journey, any adventure. And even though young kids keeps our lives very insular and confined and we're not very mobile, I can go anywhere in a book. Mm. And so for me, that's what feeds my soul. Very cool. No, I, I, I feel like it's been a very long time since I've actually sat down and read for pleasure in any like consistent way. Like I'll I'll get the bug and you know for a month I'll read really consistently and then and then it'll take me eleven months to finish the one damn book. And a girlfriend of mine who reads prolifically said don't don't force yourself to finish it. Like if no. you don't love it enough to finish it, don't move on. Yeah. It's not like and it's I have this weird anymore. I have this weird like college mentality of like you gotta get through it. You got you've already pot committed to this, you know, three quarters of the way through. You have to finish it. And she was like, No, you slog through it and that's what stalls you out. If you don't love it by the first, you know, if it doesn't get if you it doesn't get you, move on. It. 
And and I also I'm really there are two classes I'm really interested in taking. One is a stand up class. Like I really want to get good at just like no good yeah, for you. Oh yeah, I God. love it. Actually, Katie Katie Lee was the one who turned me on to that, and I was Does like, that's Katie such a do she did it years ago, like like ten years that's ago. She went and so did um what's it called Steppenwolf or something. And um and I loved it. I can't it. imagine I, her doing. Stand-up. She loved it. No, she that's like amazing. I can totally see it. And she loved really? it, and I'm really really game, and I want to do that. Um. I want to do drunk karaoke with you, Sarah. And, um, and done. <laughs> and one, do we? It's redundant to say drunk karaoke. It's just karaoke. <laughs> fair point. Fair point. Specifically, tequila drunk karaoke. Yes. Karaoke. Karaoke. New thing. Karaoke. Already drunk. All right. Welcome to the podcast, Daphne. Not coffee in this cup. Um, no, but I also really want to do a speed reading class. So my parents, when oh. they when they were first starting dating, and they were well, not the, I think they were actually newly married, and they just had me. If this makes this makes the story make more sense, they'd moved to Fort Lee, New Jersey and they didn't have many friends there and they did a um, Toastmasters. They did Toastmasters classes, which is so fun and like such a cool way to just be able to tell a quick story and yeah. speak on any topic and get comfortable with public speaking. But there's also speed reading classes because I think part of it is the way you describe when you watch TV, I find that I re- I start reading a page and I'll like, I'll realize I've zoned out two paragraphs down and have to go back and mm-hmm. read. And part of it's when I'm trying to read, which is exhausted trying to go to bed. Right. But I really want that joy of reading back because I agree with you. I get lost in characters, great fiction characters. Yeah. I just feel so moved by and like I know them. And the, the really, the truly great writers of all time are the ones that make you see humanity as this like eternal mm-hmm. just time wave of like everyone sort of on the same journey with their own specific details and how universal so many yeah. of these truths are and I love it but it just it's a it's something I'm really excited to have be an accomplishment of my 30s well and just to I, clarify one yeah. thing I do reread there are times where I'm reading and because the anxious mind naturally wants to move on it wants to go somewhere else it has an attention span of two seconds so there are times where I'm reading and I can tell it's one of those nights where it's going to take me a second to come back down so I'll read and because it's for enjoyment not college I'm like oh shoot I didn't get any of that and I don't care that I have to go back because it's it's the act, not mm-hmm. the destiny. It's literally the journey of reading. Mm-hmm. So I go back. So just so you know, it's not like a smooth sailing. I look at the book and then <laughs> and I'm deep within. The there are nights where I literally am like, I have read this page three times. Yes. I guess it's not my night tonight. You so. know, but that just tells you a lot about focus because I think that that's ultimately what it is, is like, you know, our brain, especially as moms, is like, Absolutely everywhere. And if we're capable of just focusing on something, which is like hardly ever, at least for me, um, then then it can be this enjoyable experience. And yeah. it almost sounds like a meditation. It is. It, it, I think that's what it is because medi- I've recently started cooking. Ah, and I it. find that meditative. Mm-hmm. So Max was giving me a hard time the other day. He's like, I, you know, I don't want to offend you, but is it taking you so long to chop that squash because it's hard? Or are you <laughs> like, because I feel like your chopping takes an inordinate. And I was like, Okay, I'm going to take this and the spirit in which it was intended. I said, I find this very meditative and I enjoy like the art of the process. Like, remind me, were you, did you used to like to cook or no. you fell off of it? So I was raised, my parents always cooked. Okay. Like, and so I always thought, just like all of my life, that one day I'd wake up and I'd be a wife and a mom and I'd be cooking. Apron. And like, just everything. Not even, I mean, also I would have a briefcase. That's how I described the career I wanted because my dad had one. So I thought, and, 
this wasn't me as five year old. This was me at 18. Like, <laughs> I'm going to have a briefcase. Well, what does that mean, sweetie? I don't know, but it's going to be a briefcase. Like, it, but I will carry it around like very important. So I, I had lots of cash. It wasn't like, <laughs> yes. <laughs> I didn't really have a clear idea, but I just thought so many things just happened when you grew up. Right. And then I blinked my eyes grown up. And unless you make it Here happen, it doesn't happen. So I've always wanted to cook because I think it's how we have power in what we're eating. But it's also... Uh, I would say it's a dying craft. I don't know if you can say that, but I don't know how many people really take time to provide and, and make their own food. Mm-hmm. And there's something so primitive to it that's amazing. Oh, it's the most it's the most like primal provision you can do yeah. for yourself, for your family, for sure. And I find it gives me so much confidence. Like I really, it, it gives me intense pleasure and confidence to be able to put a meal down for my family or for my friends that like I just I know they're going to really enjoy and it it was something that not that it was always easy for me because I do try to keep it easy for myself but sometimes there's like you know things that were hard. You make some complicated things. Also for (laughs) Daphne her like level of heart is like for us like really like crazy. Yes 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 no you make everything look pretty. I've seen you and I know that I'm going to go with Laurie on this one. I've seen your cooking. She's like it was no problem it was just like a souffle and a no I see the pictures when she's whipping things together not reading recipes and she's throwing things she's and I'm like oh you do what's that, that like she's like I'm gonna throw in my chives I was like oh that's a chive okay <laughs> Sarah's there well with done. the squash like, yes. I'll take it she's like a measuring cup going this with a knife to make sure it's exactly, exactly. like the recipe exactly. says so funny but I I mean I just I think that I mean you say this all the time Alaria like I do think that practice makes you comfortable comfort gives you confidence confidence makes that? it easy all the time I'm you're so smart. so smart can you repeat that I know but even with like even with all the found moment workouts and and the way that you train your body to to respond to the input of the of the workout that you do the same is true with cooking for me like and as you just described like you'll then I don't follow a recipe because I know like this much squash looks like it's going to be the right amount for this much broth blah 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 whatever for your squash soup. so good but here's what I will say I do think that I love the fact that even coming to it new and the way that you describe like it's one of the only places as an adult you can go and make a mess and what's the worst that's going to happen, you know? Like if you're not graded at the beginning, it's nothing. You order pizza, you know, it's like it's really, yeah. it's very... What stresses me out is baking. Oh God, like, I love um, baking. That will be, well, because you know why? Because you like being precise because you are making sure there's just that much. There's exactly. two, only two cups of flour in there and it's not too... You saw that like Max burned my bit. cookies the I other did. day. That was funny. That made me Rude. laugh. Rude. First of all, first, I didn't, I wasn't paying attention as I was. I was flipping through the pages, but I love looking at your stories. But I was like thinking about the million different things. Then I went back and meditated because that caught me. I thought it was like dog biscuits. No, so, okay, listen to this. Because, <laughs> became dog because I didn't cook for years, the only silverware I had were these Gerber spoons that I bought one night when I was drunk and I needed it for the pint of ice <laughs> cream I was going to eat in my bed Wait, by myself. Stop it So when right Max now. and I joined homes, I like had no adult Wait, that things. that was a free baby purchase? The yes, I had no babies. Oh I needed my ice cream and there was no <laughs> spoon. So I ate off a Gerber spoon That's years hilarious. before having children. <laughs> so needless to say, I didn't have cookie cutouts or anything and because I was a dog mama for so many years, people had bought me the little biscuit cutout. So I was right. So I could only make biscuits <gasps> because I hadn't baked before that so everyone's like those so look like awesome. dog treats and i'm like bingo because they kind of are oh they my gosh are. see you were right i, I was hilarious. right and then he burned them he then burned they them. really looked like and by treats. the way it was a sugar cookie and that 
is tricky to work with the dough. So I had really uh, like, I look, I felt time. like I was on a cooking channel. I'm putting water on my fingers and squishing it and pushing back. I did all this. And I said, Max, I'm going to pick Alec up. In five minutes, you need to pull these cookies out. The timer's going to go off. Max, are you listening? Yes, I'm listening. Not listening. 30 minutes later, <gasps> no. I walk in, I smell it like there's a fire in my home. Just <laughs> and I was like, Max, the cookies. Out he comes running and he's like, oh my God. <laughs> like he didn't notice the smoke, the heat, the fire. Like, what was he doing? Like, what? I don't know. Kind of he was he was reading and meditating on his oh book. That God. must be that must be. How do you space off so oh, supremely that you don't notice any of that? Heat, smell. Those are two yeah, senses. No, that, that's, yeah, that's pretty no, bad. Yeah, yes, yes. Yeah, that, that is very So fair. that peanut burn a whole batch. And I flipped out. And then I thought, this is not the best human example. It's just cookies. And so I go into the bedroom and Max is laying on the bed with a pillow over his face. And I can tell he's in mourning. And I'm Aww. like, I am sorry. I overreacted. It's just cookies. And he was like, that was hard for you. I was like, I know it was hard for me, but I did it. So let's move on. <laughs> and now you get to hold it over his head for like a Oh, forever. Really long I remember those cookies? Like, that I've ever met Max, but I do feel like I know him so well because I feel like I see him on your stories all the time, obviously, but I feel like listening to you impersonate him and his internal dialogue and the way that he speaks is like so spot on. It's perfect. One, you'll spot it, but he doesn't. So sometimes he's like, if you're going to represent me, please do it accurately. He's like, I don't talk like that. I'm like, that's how I hear you. Max, so. are you listening right now? Max, he does because he follows. <laughs> there you go. Hi, Max. We're talking about you, Max. Just, his life. You're will welcome, just be Max. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously. Now, last time that you were on, I mean, one of the things that that struck us about you, as she was saying, is how honest and open you were, and we caught you at a really interesting moment, which was. You know, you had talked about you know, postpartum and different suffering, and you did so so openly. There were, you know, there were tears, um, and you were pregnant, and you were. It was almost like I don't know what's gonna. Is it gonna happen again? What's that journey going to be like? And if you're willing, I would love to just just kind of understand what was that like the third time around, and and how are you doing, and um, what what did you learn from having done it before? Well, I definitely think that I had some postpartum with Caleb. Um, I missed it with Sandra. So I was, Alec was my worst and then Sandra was a lot better. So I thought I was in the clear and then it kind of swung back with Caleb. Um, it was a, it was a rough year because I had a lot, um, I had gotten an amazing gift of one having, being able to have a baby, which I was, I just like most of us, you kind of want to have more control and we weren't planning to have a baby right then and you are so conflicted because anything other than it's a blessing is really just awful to say out loud like for mm -hmm. yourself and for everyone around you so I really battled even telling anyone because I thought I was literally having a mental breakdown so the whole pregnancy from announcement meaning like oh my god I'm pregnant to the end was a rough life stretch for me and I think it, um, it was also a physically harder one the baby was really big really like big. really big uh he was almost nine pounds oh, and my other yeah. babies were seven pounds five ounces wow. like so they kept telling me the whole time you're you're sizing this baby's big 
not helpful because you immediately go into, Panic. I'll just stop <laughs> eating for the next three months. You know, but then also the measles thing happened. So I was quarantined. I, I had to go to work, but my doctor said if you did any other type of work, I'd probably tell you to stay home. Mm. But when you're home, because you're in Williamsburg, don't go outside because wow. you're in a red zone. So now I'm going through the isolation of being on a show where we interact with the audience and I'm not allowed to interact with the audience. I'm not allowed to ride public transport, at, which I always ride the subway. And you shouldn't go outside when you're home. And I said, this is a formula for depression. Like mm-hmm. I would rather risk measles right now than going into the dark place I've been before. So mm-hmm. I can't adhere to those rules. So I would go out into parks and stuff and try to walk. And I had to stay active. That's That was my sanity with all the pregnancies were just walking, you know, listening to podcasts, talking to my sisters, my mom, whatever. I had to get out. And so it was like a, a like a comedy of just bad like errors like one after the next I got shut down so then to have the baby I think I was teed up because I went back at four weeks uh normally I would say always put your babies first and that's how I I felt about my kids but I also know in life that for the long term of our family this job was a big opportunity and Mm -hmm. new shows don't they rarely last you know so to give it a shot when it was a dream I'd always had I just felt it was the right overall decision to go back fast. But I was in the throes of hormones and insecure in a way I've never been. Like I was dealing with so much anxiety. I generally feel okay with myself, but have like the insecurities like every human. I don't like this about myself. I don't like that. I come back to a show and I sit on a couch and I look at myself. And for the first time, usually being on air will just make you present no matter what. And there have only there was only one other time where I couldn't tap into that adrenaline. It was when my dog died. Like I remember sitting there thinking, I just need to know how many people in this audience. I was at the View at the time have lost an animal. I didn't say this, but yeah. I wanted to say, how many of you have lost an animal? How many of you survived it? Like because I was in so much pain, it happened over and over at work, and I like had to tell my bosses because I was worried. They kept saying, you know, we're not seeing it. And I'm like. I'm shocked you're not seeing it because I'm sitting there in the middle of an interview and my mind is so far gone that I'm forgetting what I'm saying because I'm that internal voice is like, you don't know what you're doing. Why? You know, like what, it was just nonstop. And so I told Max, I was like, I don't know what steps to take, but if this shows up in my work, this could be really bad. And he's like, you got to tell everyone, you just got to disclose it, that you're struggling. But it was, everyone was so supportive around me, but there was just nothing that could be done. I was in survival mode. You know, I finally went back to therapy, but I probably went later than I needed it. And my therapist was like, why didn't you come back? And I was like, the stress of making an appointment while I was running around pumping, trying to get to the baby to nurse because that was keeping my milk supply. Coming back into Manhattan, I said the stress of it was actually more damaging than just missing the therapy, like honestly. So I finally got back to her and she like sat there and she was like, you are long overdue. I'm like, I know. And normally I would tell someone your mental health should come first. I myself knew that firsthand, but I couldn't get it done. I was operating in red zone every day. And how did you how did you process out of that? I think I I. I knew what it was. I looked around and I thought I couldn't distinguish the negative talk at work, though. So when I think about how insecure I was with my job, it was the first time in my life that I thought, oh, my God, my inability to be well right now Mm -hmm. is going to cost me this job that I raced back from a baby. And I'm guilty enough. I feel guilty enough about that. Something's going to happen here and all of it's going to blow up. Like I just felt like I was on the precipice of an ending somewhere. I 
I couldn't even give all of myself to the show, which they were saying, we need more of you from, you know, because it's your, it, your name's in the title. Yeah. And I'm like, I am such a worker bee. I take such pride in that. But the nausea lasted, this pregnancy, it lasted the whole time. Oh. So I was nauseous. I went, like, I... There just wasn't anything that didn't go wrong. It, I also recognize that's a place of privilege because medically the pregnancy was good, but it was the most red flags I'd ever had. I, f- I flunked the diabetes. Then I had to go in for the, you know the sugar test. I'd never flunked that. I had to go sit in the hospital for three hours. Then uh. the measles thing. Then it was just like one test after the next. They're like, you're going to have to come back in, but don't freak out. And I'm like, I like freaking out every minute of right. every day. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the big thing was to keep talking to Max, you know, like, so someone knew I'm not okay. Like, and uh, I also think that I, I felt better after I shared it with a couple of my bosses uh, because I knew disclosing it, at least if something was wrong, uh, it wouldn't. they wouldn't wait till it was too late to say, now we're seeing it. I didn't mm-hmm. want it to be a performance problem that all of a sudden something changed in my job and they're like, you did a, it was a good run, but we don't need you anymore. Right. And not to have spoken up that this isn't me right now. Like, I don't feel myself. Something's wrong. So I felt that Max said, you got to tell someone at work. You know, it's funny because the fear based version of me would worry that like disclosing that. And I just think about this for any career, disclosing any real or not vulnerability, weakness, problem, et cetera, makes people more aware of it, makes them look out for it. And like, we, you know. but I thought they were seeing it. So I would tell Max, like in my head, I didn't know how you couldn't see. And this is where the hormones and the mental stuff is really scary and confusing because I've been depressed before I ever had kids. I've gone through postpartum, darkest thing I ever went through. I have gone through so many things and you still can't always identify when separating. I tried to describe it to Max. I'm like, it's like you're in a glass jar in the dark. You're screaming. You can feel walls. You don't know if anyone can hear you. A friend can say everything's okay, but like you can't see anything. You can't. So I kept saying to him, he's like, but he's a reasonable dude and keeps asking, well, can anyone tell? I'm like, I don't know. I don't know if someone's going to say you've really sucked lately. You know, like... (laughs) I just got back from having a baby. I mean, I think with what you're saying, I like one of my defense mechanisms. Cause I am somebody that sometimes I get, you know, super insecure. I'm always thinking that I'm like kind of like silly sometimes, or people like think I'm not we like all super have that cool. Imposter we, syndrome feeling. We yeah. do, and to be quite honest, I think doing these kinds of things that are so public as a living and the Instagram and stuff like that, in some ways, it's so nurturing and amazing. And in other times, you can get really self conscious. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a two edged sword, sir. Yeah, double edged sword. Double edged sword. Yes. Um, but but no, I, a lot of times is my defense mechanism. I'll just tell people, I'll be like, you know, sometimes I'm really shy. Like I'll just tell them that. Or like, I'm feeling like really nervous right now. And it'll be in like the most ridiculous situation where you would think, oh, just be cool. Just try to do this, try this. But inside, like I feel a little bit mechanical. Like when I, whenever I feel insecure, I like to say it. Yeah. And that's something that I've learned. Or like I'm afraid that you might be seeing like what you're saying. You might be seeing da, 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 da. And it's because of this. It's one of the reasons I've become so open is then when I'm hiding something, I feel like I'm, you know, I feel like everybody can kind of see it. Yeah. Um, even if they can't. Um, no, so, I, and it's, it is, it's, um. Well, I can't think of the word right now, but it 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 clears the air. But it's also shoot. What is and this? Is real mom brain moment. It's an icebreaker, and it's also it just like lets people see the you. right the human element. And I think look, I think the reality is 
exactly what you were saying about you know Max like being your sort of sounding board of what the what the outside world represents, um, but also a very safe zone for you. Yeah, and then to to almost in a way widen that circle of safety by telling a version of what you share at home, you know, with your closest person, with the people who, you know, are your friends. I mean, yeah. like at work, you know, your audience, et cetera, are your friends. Um, I think that probably is actually exactly as you just said, Hilaria. It, it, it removes at least the additional stress of am I hiding this experience well enough, you right. know? Yeah, and I think that I, I'm not great when I struggle. I'll tell everyone you need to speak up, and yet I don't myself when it comes to girlfriends and friends. So, like, I disappear. And there are oftentimes when I am with a friend again and I'm talking, they're like, uh, that's where you went. Like, I didn't realize you were struggling because it's so easy when you're busy and you have kids to just be busy and you have kids. Right. But meanwhile, you could also just, like, I did in my 20s hiding a job. You can hide in a thousand things. And you always have outwardly good reasons why, but you're struggling. And I don't do well because if you, I'm kind of the person, if you say, how are you? And actually that happened in the first podcast. You guys were just saying like, so tell us about it. And I felt everything inside of me like crumble. If someone, if I see help is on the way, everything comes out. And so if I talk about it on a day to day, some days I'm really strong. If a good girlfriend says you don't look good, I'm almost like, let's talk another time. Yeah, don't I, go there I can't right talk now. right now. And the reason I needed to tell them at work is I was getting to the point where I would come off set and I'd make it to the room and I'd shut the door and I'd collapse. Like it was like holding together. I'm on a funny show. You're going right. to tell me you're depressed? Like, and, and these are such first world problems. Like I have a amazing career and job and I'm so grateful I have a job at all. So to say I, I'm emotional, like nobody gets it. It was so dark that I was, I also felt like I'd lost everything that makes me Sarah. So I couldn't see any of my qualities. And I said to Max, I know enough to know that this is a depression of some form because I physically can tell I'm, I have no worth like, and that's can't be right. Like I have no human has no worth. So but telling people at work helped me because in that moment, I thought, I can't fail because of this. I can't fail because I rushed back to work, had babies, got depressed. I, this cannot be the end of my story. So if I disclose it, I knew legally by telling people, I'm having some postpartum, I'm having a problem. I at least had a paper trail of when things happened. Yeah. And so it was almost looking out for myself and reminding people, even though I deep down was fearful, will I ever be myself again? I think every time you hit a depression, you wonder if you'll come back. Mm -hmm. This was a long one. So I was beginning to think this is the new Sarah. And it was making me very upset. But I had to have people believe I'd come back. Right. And arguably some of them said, and I think they were telling me the truth. You know, I don't see it. Max would watch clips. He's like, I don't I don't know if I really see it. I'm like, it's there. It's going to come out because I sometimes lose my I don't even realize when it's my chance to talk. Sometimes I'm so gone in those interviews that I've never had this happen. You know, so it was a lot. Sadly, with this kind of thing, too, it never looks the same. You know, so no, it's different this time than it was after Alec. And yeah. obviously after Sandra, it wasn't as bad. And I think you, you know, you speak to just the experience of any mother going back to work, there are going to be high, there, not everyone's experience has as deep lows or as like, or, you know, and people, some people may have it really easy and that's great, but I think most women would feel better about the transition back to work if they could be honest about how uncertain that terrain is, whether you've had kids before or not, because you are you are rejuggling your definition of yourself. You are reshifting all of and recalibrating all of the timetables of your day. There is no down period. I mean, you come home from 
as great and like effortless as you even in your worst moments make your job look it is extraordinarily emotionally draining to carry such a personality heavy and personally personality heavy show um, and you come home and, and then your real job starts you know yeah. so it's, it's like I think that actually there is there's so much to be uh, hopeful about I think that like d- disclosing and reminding people I just had a baby like I just had a baby four weeks ago or six weeks ago or whatever I am still very much processing that experience and I might be looking like I'm holding it together because I want to be professional and I want you got to want I want to make your job easy because we're women and that's something yeah. else we do you know I want you to feel good about the work that product that you're putting forward but I'm really having a hard time here and I think that we do have to remind people of that sometimes because we like to look like superwomen, even though it can be really challenging to be that. One of the things I love about sharing, whether it's with one person or a lot of people on social media, is that once I share, I can start processing it a little bit more. Yeah. Because it makes it real. And once something is real and you've said it out loud, then you can start doing something about it. If you're having to pretend on top of that discomfort, and of course, you have, you're a professional. You're going to go out, and even if you, you know your bosses and your coworkers know that you're suffering, you don't necessarily have to go on and have that be your identity when you're Which out you there. Which you don't want it to of feel course, like that. Right, yeah. of course. But you at least feel that some people understand and get you. Yeah, if you're not yourself, and that's exactly, why. And they, and they are just there to kind of have your back and love you and, and respect you throughout the, hopefully, yeah. throughout the process. Um, like I remember when I had my most recent miscarriage at, at the, at four months, I went and I shared immediately. I somehow got home. I like wandered home from 90th street. I'm like calling these guys cause we we're supposed to shoot the next day. And like, I tried to come into work later. Cal was like, you're not coming in tomorrow because you're going to have surgery. And I was like, Oh, and I was like, I will forever be grateful for that because I couldn't wrap. I was like, I just won't be there for like the morning because I have to go into surgery in the morning. And he's like, we're canceling the whole day. Like I couldn't even. You can't even process I was ir- it. I was so irrational. And then I got home and I'm crying. And I, you know, Alec, was, uh, Alec wasn't there. And my daughter, she just like, I just had to say it because I couldn't handle one more person congratulating me. And, and so, and then I ended up posting that video that I was sending to Alec that I was like, well, telling Carmen, cause be like, this is what happened. Just want you to know. And then I was like, I can't do it again. So I just posted it. And all of a sudden it ended up being this whole sharing thing. And it's really hard, but it made, the more that I talked about it, the more that I was like, this is reality right now. I'm not dissociating from it. The more I could start taking steps to healing and looking for different options of being able to find happiness again. And always knowing that I would say, I am not okay right now, but I know I'm gonna be okay. Well, I remember, and not many people can relate to losing an animal. I feel like, again, I haven't lost, I've been lucky enough so far to not lose my parents or an immediate family member. But for me, my dogs were like my babies coming into, Mm -hmm. like, I had them through my 20s and 30s. They were, they literally made me a mama. Like, Max said he married me because he was like, I knew by the way you love those chihuahuas that you were going to be the best (laughs) mom I could ever. And chihuahuas live forever. They they lived for so long, but (laughs) never long enough. But when I lost them, I thought... I know people think I'm crazy unless you totally understand me. I don't know if I'll survive this. And I realized that the only thing that got me through was asking other people, because when someone came up to me and said, oh, I had my dog for 15 years. And when did you, I had to ask questions. When did you lose him? How long until you felt okay again? Could you talk about him? Is it ever, hearing people everywhere say, ah, I've lost three dogs. Oh, it was knowing they'd survived it. So extrapolating that, 
the reason I loved what you posted is going through that. I think when you hear someone else say, I did too, you're like, and you're, you seem okay now. Yeah. Like you're okay, right? The more you talk about that, it's, it, it's not, misery loves company is not the right term, but in that dark sadness, knowing you're not alone yeah. is almost the only way out. Well, it's giving you some hope. Yeah. And that's what you really need in that. It's, it's needing to know that I'm not going to feel like this forever. And I think that's one of the most important conversations in mental health, especially with young people, because yeah. the suicide rates are skyrocketing, is because we a lot of times we don't have that perspective of saying, okay, this is now, but I don't want to live this way. And I'm going to try for myself and for everybody I care about, I'm going to try everything that I can to start to feel better and to heal myself. Um, and and it's okay that I'm like this, but I don't want that to be my identity. Yeah. I used to always say, this is not my destiny. To feel like this all the time is yeah. not my destiny. And I'm gonna, I don't know what's my destiny, but it's not this right now. And I think it's important also because I do think there are many things about the way that we live today that encourage us to see ourselves in a vacuum. Like we are the focus, we are the you know center of the universe. Everything that's happening to us is the most intense version of it that's ever happened to anybody type yeah. of thing in moments, especially in moments where you can't really see reality in, yeah. your, in your own world. But I think what you're describing, finding community and finding um, finding that perspective is all about seeing that, like, again, going back to like human experience is very it's very related. It's very universal. A lot of these things have a lot of people have survived exactly what we're going through and a lot of what we've experienced and finding those people to show us that it's OK on the other side and show and give us their advice if we want it and make us know that whatever we're experiencing is experiencing is OK, I think is is hugely comforting. It's actually part of why I loved growing up with religion is I always felt like I had this very um this like safety net of just seeing the universal as opposed to everything being so hyper concentrated on just the individual. Yeah. And, you know, I, I was lucky to grow up in, um, in a religion that was very much, very based on the spiritual, not on like the ritual so yeah. much. And I think, um, I really held on to that. And it's part of why I think it's important. It's part of what I think is important for my kids to get is just a foundation, a foundation, especially what you just referenced Larry, about like skyrocketing depression and, and anxiety and, and stress that young kids feel. I think there is a little bit of a safety net that happens in the community of feeling like people are there to support you in this long term journey, not just today. What is today happening? What did someone on social media say to me today? What did my teacher say to me today? Like my, what my friends say to me today? You know, it's this much longer, hopefully, lifetime that we well, get. Well, your big thing, though, what you just said that really resonates is perspective. Yeah. I think, like you said, we always we tend to see our lives in survival mode. What's going on in the in the busier you are or the more insular your life is, the more you forget. There is a world out there and sadly it's full of suffering. It's full of there are days where when I can't I don't feel great, I stop and I go back to basics. I'm like, I can feed my children. Yeah. I can feed myself. I have a roof. We sleep in warm beds. That's all. That's I so much more than most humans check. have ever had in like the history of humanity. Yeah. You know? And you look and that's it's, when I stop and I'm like, there are people all over this earth suffering right now. And it doesn't it's not about erasing what you're going no. through, but putting it in perspective can help you say there are people out there truly tapping into strength to live every day. I can do this. And it's gratitude. Gratitude. It's all about gratitude. Can I ask you one question? Yeah. You and Michael switched families for a day. Oh, wait, Please you did? describe this process slash so what happened. I tease Michael because I envision that he goes home on a weeknight. He clubs at Red Velvet Ropes. He he's a nice like McAllen 25 waiting for him. He's got on the rugs. cars. He's got like, I believe he rolls with like celebrities every night. And like, I am 
not that by such a long shot. Um, she's taking the subway home. I ride the L train. She's going um, to Brooklyn. <laughs> so when we switched lives, I laughed so hard because Michael is a dad of four kids, but he admittedly had the two young and he was a professional athlete. So he was in the throes of that. Mm-hmm. Then he had his twins who are now already 15 years old. Nuts. So he's somewhat removed from that part we repress when we're like, I have to forget it or I'd never do it again. <laughs> that dark period. I'm in the heart of the dark period. So he kept saying, oh, Sarah, like whenever I'd come in, I'm tired. I'm this. You got to you got to set some rules down. You got to like in, <laughs> I'll come in with a, ser- a story about Alec. And he's like, you know what my parents used to do? I was like, you know what, Michael, you're a big talker. It's been a while for you. <laughs> so we swapped lives. And while I tinkered in the man cave playing air hockey, ping pong. (laughs) I had champagne, sparkling champagne out of a vending machine with coins with his name on them. I watched TV. I had a golf Michael has his own tokens? Yeah, he does. (laughs) Did I mention his name is Michael Strahan? I was at a, he had a a bar, which I did not indulge in because we work at Disney, but I thought about it. But then uh, I sat around, He, he actually physically offered me to drive any car he has. One, I would never do that. I don't even drive my parents' car, and it's a fraction of as nice as theirs, but I'm afraid, or as Michael's, and I'm afraid I'm going to wreck it or something. He's so sweet that he does recognize they're just cars, but I'm like, Michael, I don't think you know my driving record. I used to have a nickname <laughs> called Bump because I hit people from the back, and they, I reared, I like, I had so many unfortunate fender benders that no one would allow me into the car if they knew me. But uh, so we swapped, and then he was with my kids. Funny enough, he absolutely... You know how they say kids and dogs can sense good people? Mm-hmm. Michael is such good people that for as much flack as I deal him, he came into my home and the kids gravitated to him. Even wow. Sandra, who hasn't seen many at the time, hadn't seen many people. Right. You, your life is in your living room. Michael sang to her and she just lit up like he. So I think at the end of the day, the, I wish it had been rougher. He can't. It was, build just, a, it was just for a day. For a day. Okay. He can't build a fort for crap. No. Alec literally goes, where's the door? And and <laughs> Michael was like, uh, Michael's I'm the door. Like, Take the fort and like it. Like, and I was like, that sucked. It's been a while. Um, but other than that, he actually was adorable with the kids. Oh, that's so That's cute. really I sweet. was awful in his garage. I went to step out of one of the cars, banged my head. And that was like a Bridget Jones moment. I thought I was going to try to look sexy because the car was sexy. And then I Sarah Haynes did on the way out. It was mortifying. And they put that in there, too. But uh, I love so much about you. It's like you you, you are you are like the bombshell and like you're going to have the sexy moment in the car. And then I Sarah Haynes did. Daphne, I literally said, watch my sexy exit. And I Liz, you've seen it, right? I go like this. I go, watch my sexy exit. And I stand like this. I stand up and bang the lift so hard. I was fine. I mean, my ego has never recovered. But I fell down so hard. And I was like, we're not rolling on this. And they're like, they're like, that's yes, going to happen. Yes, the okay, opener. Yeah. Yeah. That's actually the slow-mo mortifying and forward in that's intro so to the segment. funny. Okay, la- last question. Last question. How long did you wait to tell people that you were pregnant with Caleb? Or so, with all of them? Uh, Especially because working on TV, and if you were so early, like, were you just wearing, like, really creative clothes, or did you just tell people? I told people as soon as, like, that, uh, is it the 14 weeks, the 12 to 14 weeks, every time, and people always said, you're t- you're telling them early, and in fact, some of the executives were like, are you sure you want to do that? I said, I am so tired of the hypothesizing if I'm having a baby or just fat, if yeah. I'm, like, you guys, welcome to Thanksgiving dinner. Every oh time I eat gosh. Mexican, I full-blown have a four-month-old in my belly, so go ahead and ask. <laughs> Tweet at me, I can't wait. Um, but people would ask, and I was like, in all the emotions of all the beginning of my pregnancies, I was like, 
it's none of your business, but I'm telling you now because now I'm owning my story. And if if something goes bad, I'll probably need to talk about it again and I'll use the same platform. So I tended to tell them, but I think that's also a privileged point because I hadn't gone through some of the trauma people very close to me have. Mm -hmm. And my, my own sister just had a baby at 45 and she waited to tell us until she was six months along. She's the one wow. family member that lives on the West Coast. And we showed up to surprise my mom for her birthday. And we have this joke on FaceTime. When we FaceTime, my, my dad will count to three and all the kids pull up their shirts. So it's like, <laughs> one, two, three, bellies. And so we were doing that in the airport. My mom goes, look at your sister's belly. And I just was thinking like bellies. So I turned like that and I was eye contact. So I was kneeling down with my daughter and oh. I go, Susan. And I like we all were so emotional because she had had tried in this. And so six months, she just had my little nephew. She's a blissful mommy, always wanted to be a mommy, had nothing but great experiences. And all she wanted was another baby. And she, it took her, they got him. And so I think to say that I talked early about it and all those things, I recognize that there are so many different ways to get to where you want to be. And some turn out the way you want and a lot don't. And it's a hard question to answer. For me, I knew I it would be I'd wear it every day, good news or bad news. And I'd so I have to let people know. And I was also tired of the trolls. Yeah. Interesting. Hey Twitter, I'm talking to you. Yeah. All of you guys. No. Yeah. <laughs> no, everybody's nice here. Yes. Um, what's your favorite thing? Oh my God. So I followed this paleo running mama Instagram account and I've made so many of her recipes because I'm pretty much a cook now. Love. Or chef. Well, same. same. Searching. Same searching so, her now. I love her because uh, with food, we like to do whole real foods, kind of like Whole30, you know, like really vegetables. Mm-hmm. And and she's someone that for dietary reasons uh, jumped to paleo about 12 years ago. And not a lot of uh, food people, which Daphne, this is what I love, is there's not a big marriage of people that are trained in food and chef chefing. She- chefing. <laughs> it's a verb. Go with it. Um <laughs> That really, uh, the movement isn't uh, cohesive. There's mm-hmm. there's a lot of people that for reasons have dietary wants and the chef and food thing are, they're more purists. Well, because, mo- well, but also most of sh- most of chefing is like butter and sugar and flour Butter's and good. old sugar. French yeah. ways of cooking. That's where, right. you, that's where you start in, you know, your culinary Training, exploits. Yeah. Where most people who end up in paleo or veganism or keto or anything that they go to for anti-inflammatory, for yeah. dealing with an autoimmune disease, et cetera, go there for health first and yeah. foremost. But like to know that the knowledge base is with foodies Mm -hmm. and the curiosity or the need for the solution is with people with those interests. mm -hmm. So I found her account and she's just been someone that she keeps food fun. And like I've been making like the birthday stuff I made for Alec was all paleo. And so I I tend to she still uses like coconut sugars and stuff. I sub like monk fruit and stuff. But it really tastes like even my husband Max will say, why would you bake any other way? And I'm like, this is so fun. So I stalk her on Instagram and I've made so many of her recipes and I sit there and I take pictures. I'm like, look what I did. And it's so cute because I like it's like a parent looking back at you and saying, (laughs) I see you. Good job. And I'm always like, thanks, paleo running mama. (laughs) That's a good favorite thing. I can't wait to check her out. That's so fun. Yay. We love you, Sarah. We don't want her to love you. We We don't don't want her to leave. This is a bet. All right, guys, that was Sarah. Um, I mean, I don't know what else to say other than she's just absolutely amazing. You know what I think is so incredible about Sarah is I feel like, first of all, you know, I, I do feel like I have known her forever. Like she's just she makes you so comfortable and she's so easy to talk to that. It's just it feels like, you know, an old, old friend. But also um, 
she could be talking about everything. She could be talking about nothing. And she just makes it so entertaining. It's such a like, it's such a joy to listen and to learn from her. And and I feel like, um, you know, I think she also, by virtue of the fact that she has had these highs and lows and um, you know has, has battled depression in her past and knows that it's something that can flare up in her current state too. Um, it just has given her a lot of, I think, I think wisdom and also a lot of grace. Like she's very, she's one of those people who I feel like knows herself inside and out and pays close attention and takes like checks in on the daily, which I think we all need to be doing more of because I think we can get into like robot mode sometimes Mm -hmm. and just go through the paces and life is for the living. And I think that there's a real, there's so every time I talk to her, I feel like I, I, I am reminded to take stock and, and to be very grateful and also to be very forgiving of the times when I feel like I just need to give myself a little bit more love and TLC. It's one of those, um, very special bonding conversations. She makes our job so easy. Oh, so easy. And then I love that like you can feel teary and laugh within a very short period of right. time with her. But she's a very vibrant person. And now it's time for our favorite things. Woohoo! Now it's time for our favorite things. Oh yeah. My favorite thing today is this jacket that I have for the kids. Um, so I found these um, coats that don't have to be dry cleaned. They do have, they each have a coat um, that's kind of fancier and, and and they need to be dry cleaned. And then you realize that kids just get muddy all the time. So I found these coats on Amazon. They're um, London Fog and they range in price between $17 and $30. And my children are all about approximately the same size because they're like two seconds apart. <laughs> so they can just buy one size and it's great. But I highly recommend it. They like it because there's lots of fun different colors. Um, and and it seems to be keeping them warm. I love that. Um, I am going to go a little deeper layer of clothing. <laughs> um, so I, I want to talk about a pair of underwear that I'm obsessed with. And I feel like um, finding good underwear that's great to work out in, that doesn't roll. Like, I feel like sometimes when you, I, I might be TMI, but you guys know a lot about me already. So here it is. I like to wear thongs and I feel like sometimes you can like show a line that's not, that you don't actually want to show. The whole point of wearing a thong is that you can't see your underwear. And I feel like with a lot of the other brands out there, either there's so much lace that you really see like the texture of the lace or there's, they're like, they don't hold onto the skin properly. So they fold over or they roll or whatever. And they're just not, they are not my favorite. These um, are called the Blush Lingerie Micro Lace Trim Thong. And I have to tell you guys, I got turned on to these at um, a bar class that I go to. And they're what all like the instructors there wear. They look hot. They have a, a million different colors. They're the right height. They hit like right above your hip bone. So they're the most flattering shape. They're not like super low rise that I think accentuates your widest part. They're actually very, very flattering. They are like a beautiful cotton material. They have this really nice, fun, um, lacy trim. But check out their advertising shot. They did not. Oh yeah, there's stretch marks. They show the stretch marks on the model. Um, They, I mean, obviously they're they're you know they have different sizes and everything. But on the model that they are showing the fit on, they didn't um, Photoshop out her stretch marks. They didn't, and like she's got a great butt. They they, but they weren't like let us show you this on a mannequin. They showed it to you on a real woman, which I just think speaks to the way that this fit works. It's like very clear that they were, and they obviously have bras and stuff too, which I didn't know. That it's very clear that they made this line with with women in mind, which I love. Um, Carmen asked me this morning as I'm getting ready. um, She's like, mommy, why does your underwear go up your butt? (laughs) And I was like, 
Philomena asked me that too. Yeah, and I'm like, it's called a thong. She's like, Mommy, your underwear doesn't fit. I'm like, it's called a thong. And she's like, isn't that uncomfortable? I'm like, yes. Well, actually, not really. It's not really. But I have to say when I was like, I don't know, when I was younger, I'm not going to tell you what age because you guys will judge me. Um, But when I was younger, I, I, it was kind of uncomfortable at the beginning. And then, and now it's like, you know what I like about thongs? It's a constant wedgie. So like, you don't have to fight it. It's there. You've given in to the eternal wedge. You've given in. The wedge is there. Don't have to pick it. It's great. It's just up there and it's secure. So with that, we leave you with wedgies and coats. Email us, mombraidpod at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. Um, Share, tell your friends, rate, review, subscribe, all that stuff. We'll talk to you next week. Bye. Bye, guys. This is Mom Brain with Ilaria Baldwin and Daphne Oz. Mom Brain is a Gallery Media Group original production.